0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Scott Galloway. He's a clinical professor of marketing at the New York Stern School of Business, a public speaker, entrepreneur, and an author. Millennials are the first generation who have not done better than their parents. Educational outcomes, finances, home ownership, mental health, and marriage rates are all thrown up in the air. Why has this happened, and what can we do about it? Expect to learn why COVID worsened the wealth gap more than it already was, why TikTok is a Trojan stallion, which should be immediately banned, why news pundits suck so much, what makes a news story go viral, Scott's advice to young people on how to maximize effectiveness in life, the most important things to focus on in order to be happy, and much more. Don't forget, if you're listening, you might not be subscribed, and that means you're going to miss episodes when they go up. And it's a great way to support the show. So if you're on Spotify, press the follow button in the middle of the page, or there is a plus on the top right-hand corner in Apple Podcasts. I thank you very much. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Over half a million happy customers worldwide. Crafted are literally the biggest men's jewellery brand on the planet, they have necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings in custom designs of gold and silver. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heat proof, gym proof, and come with a lifetime guarantee. So no matter what you do to it, if you break it for any reason for the entire time that you have it, they'll give you a new one. Their pieces are really easy to wear, whether it's formal or casual, whether you're going on a night out or whether you're looking to dress up. I find men's jewelry. Pretty difficult to get right, and they've absolutely nailed it. So, if you or the man in your life, even if that man is you, is looking to get some new men's jewelry, this is the first place that you should look. Go to bit.ly/slash cdwisdom, and the code MW15 will get you 15% off worldwide, no matter where you are. That's bit.ly/slash letter c, letter d, wisdom, and MW15. A checkout. In other other news, this episode is brought to you by Verso. Many of you will have heard my past interviews with Dr. David Sinclair and some other leading longevity scientists and know that although sleep, exercise and nutrition are vital to making sure that we live a long life, there are certain elements of aging that may benefit from a little extra help. Verso's cell being is a nicotinamide mononucleotide or NMN-based supplement and it is paired with naturally derived micronized transresveratrol and TMG. Plus, Verso publishes third-party testing from each batch that they produce to absolutely guarantee that you are getting what you pay for. So if you've been thinking that you want to start a longevity supplement regime, NMN, resveratrol, and TMG would be three of the compounds that you would start with. And these have been combined in optimal dosages. All that you need to do is take two capsules once per day. It's all, all of the work's been done. All the homework's been done by cell Being, and you just take them. That's all. Go to ver.so slash modernwisdom and use the code MW15 at checkout to save 15% on your order worldwide. That's ver.so slash modernwisdom and MW15 at checkout. And in final news, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. You are not eating enough fruit and vegetables in your diet, and you know it, and this is going to help. With so many stresses in life, it is difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive and best tasting greens powder that I've found and I have tried... An awful lot, more than I probably should have done. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, pre- and probiotic green superfood blend, and more. The main reason that I, or the main difference that I notice from when I take it to when I forget is my digestion. It makes such a big difference to my digestion and my energy levels. Uh, I really appreciate them. They're a fantastic company. They're NSF certified for sports in the US, meaning that even Olympians can use it. And you can get a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, free pots, shakers, and a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 59 days, and if you don't like it, they will give you your money back. Go to athleticgreens.com modernwisdom. That's athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott Galloway. Scott Galloway. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: In the 1950s, a young person had a 90% chance of out-earning their parents. Now it's a 50% chance. Only half of millennials are earning more than its parents. Since 1989, people under the age of 40 have seen their share of the nation's wealth plummet from 19% to 9%. And for the first time in US history, young people are no longer better off economically than their parents were at the same age. Nice positive headlines to get us started today where where did you learn that
1: well um, first off it's great to be with you But what you mentioned that for the first time in our nation's history a 30 year old man or woman isn't doing as well as his or her parents that's kind of a breakdown in what is the fundamental compact between a society and its populace and that is if you play by the rules and you're a good person and you work hard your kids will do better than you that's kind of what you want. Anyone who has kids knows you're only as least happy as your least happy kid. And if your kids, on average, aren't doing as well as you, it means to have kids in a nation means your life is going to go is going to of your life is going to degrade emotionally and psychologically, which means society no longer works for you. And, it, and we got to hope it's temporary. But that's the bad news. The good news is hang on how you look at it. This is a problem of our own making. You mentioned that the wealth of people under the age of 40, as registered by their percentage of GDP, has been cut in half, and there's this illusion of complexity that the incumbents will try and foment among media and the populace to explain why these very intractable problems are intractable, and they're not. When we The two biggest tax deductions in America that we have passed and we have decided to make sense are mortgage interest and capital gains who owns home and owns stocks, people my age and older, who rents and makes their money working, people your age and younger. So we've effectively decided that the two biggest tax cuts should further enrich the wealthiest generation in history, and that is U.S. baby boomers. If we look at the biggest transfer of wealth that's recurring in the world, it's a transfer of wealth of one and a half trillion dollars from people of working age, in the United States to people of retirement age in the form of Social Security. And again, that cohort receiving a trillion and a half dollar transfer payment from young people are the wealthiest cohort in the history of the planet. So education skyrocketing, a regressive tax. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. This isn't an accident. This isn't forces greater than us. These are deliberate decisions, mostly because old people vote, mostly because presidential politics start in iowa and maine the two oldest whitest states in the nation and what do you know we have a society that tilts capital away from your generation to mine and it is uh it's it's dumb it's short-sighted and it's also morally corrupt uh and there's it just goes on and on and on education when i applied to school in the 80s to college The admissions rate was 76%. The tuition was $1,200 a year. That same school, the admissions rate is 6%, and the tuition is closer to $30,000 a year. So everything we've done has sort of stacked the deck. It's sort of baby boomers have decided, heads I win, tails you lose. Did the baby boomers overachieve?
0: Or are millennials and zoomers underachieving, or is it a combination of the two? You've said that they were the wealthiest ever. Did they get a disproportionate gain during that period, the boomers?
1: So I think a lot of people will try and create this trope of the quiet, quitting, expectant, lazy millennial or Gen Z. And I don't think there's any evidence of that. I, I think that you could argue they're more socially conscious. I think work from home probably creates. Uh, more temptation to spend more time with your dogs and maybe working all the time. But the kids, uh, and this is, there's some proximity bias here. The kids that come out of my class at NYU, the kids I work with at Prop G Media, are more impressive every year. And they work very hard. What has changed is that things, housing is more expensive for them, schooling is more expensive for them, and a lot of their taxes have gone up. And my life has gotten easier as I've Uh, gotten older so i don't uh, in terms of the baby boomers i don't think have outperformed i think they've been fairly lucky they came of age during the greatest economic boom of history um you know the last basically the last 13 years have been incredible and the last 40 have been pretty pretty remarkable in terms of prosperity but what the baby boomers have have done a great job of is ensuring that when there's a pandemic and we need massive massive relief It doesn't go to poor or young people it goes to older wealthy people two-thirds of the ppp program ended up in uh, the top quintile of household income earners so we've basically done a great job of kind of weaponizing governments and creating what i call this really dangerous rejectionist exclusionary society where it's once i have a college degree i'm going to encourage my university to pull up the gates and applaud the dean Uh, when admissions rates go down and the university rankings love this exclusionary uh, kind of luxury brand positioning. Once I have a house, once I buy a house, I find the money to get a house. I try and make it more difficult for other houses to be built. I show up to local board meetings and community meetings and I make it difficult to approve any additional housing. Once I have a tech company that's working, I spend more and more money on lobbying to ensure that i can abuse my monopoly position and ensure small companies don't get out of the crib so it's this rejectionist exclusionary culture that has emerged that's turned america or morphed america from what was the best place to get rich into the best place to stay rich there's very little churn here Uh, most of the pandemic programs if you think about it were some loaves of bread and circuses thrown for the poor all creating cloud cover around the majority of the capital Ended up in the market, which shot asset prices up. 90% of stocks are owned and 90% of real estate by dollar volumes owned by the top 1%. And it was really just cloud cover t- to ensure that Nana and Pop Pop could upgrade their cruise cabins. And uh, so I-, I think these are deliberate. This is the bad news. We've deliberately taken money from young people and transferred it to old people. The good news is that if we can make it happen, we can unmake it. All of these problems are solvable. Give me your thoughts
0: on TikTok. I know that you dug into some of the research around that, the way that it's been
1: weaponized, and also the impact that it's having on young people. So let me just start off by saying I love TikTok. Um, I think it's an extraordinary product. I think it was genius to take a platform and say, it shouldn't be social. It's not about what your friends think about you. It's not about choices. It's not about finding anything you want, like YouTube. It's not about you know feeling bad about yourself because you don't have a six pack or you're not as rich as your friends on Instagram it's about a streaming media platform where there's no choice you have one choice you, you you tap the logo and it immediately starts calibrating based on what you like what you swipe up swipe down on and before you know it you're in the ultimate tailored individualized singular streaming media network that is just addictive it's just i could i could go on to tiktok right now and for a couple hours just watch it i think my 12 year old boy if he had his way would disappear into his room with his phone, put diapers on so we could watch TikTok for 72 hours straight and not have a bathroom break. I think this thing is an amazing product. Uh, The issue is, if I were a member of the CCP and I saw that we had vested interest in diminishing America's standing strategically in the world, and that the easiest way to do that was not with kinetic power, because we don't have the capital that the US has to spend on aircraft carrier fleets, or even through corporate espionage, and they do a great job of that, I would just take my thumb and very elegantly and insidiously put it on the scales of content that reflects America in a bad light. So whether you're Kim Kardashian or Joe Rogan or Jonathan Haidt, a lot of your content reflects America in a very positive light. And a lot of your content highlights the problems we have. It would be very easy. I believe they're doing this now. I, be, I think they'd be stupid not to do this and put their thumb on the scale of content that says our elections are being weaponized. Racism in U.S. has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. That capitalism does not work. That You can't trust your leaders and slowly but surely raise a generation of Americans, of civic leaders, military leaders, business leaders that feel bad about America and also aren't focused on uh, the human rights violations in China. Uh, but basically, you know, if you think of geopolitics as a horror movie, it's not it's not outside threats right now. We are stronger than we've ever been, I would argue, competitively. No one's lining up for Chinese or Russian vaccines. Our GDP growth hasn't matched China's, but it's more consistent. The smartest, brightest, hardest-working people in the world all have one thing in common, and that is they like the idea of either getting to Europe or getting to the United States especially. So we're the <laughs> football team that gets the top draft choices every year from every high school in the world so we're doing really well but the horror movie would be that horror movie where they say the call is coming from inside the house we're eating each other in the u.s internally a third of republicans and democrats see the other party members of the other party as their mortal enemy 25 percent of america is comfortable with an autocrat as long as the autocrat represents his or her ideals 54 percent of democrats are worried that their kid is going to marry a republican And so the fastest way to atomize or the fastest way to defeat an enemy is atomize them. And I think TikTok, uh, when you have kids under the age of 18 spending more time on TikTok than they spend on every streaming media company combined, would we be comfortable with Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, um, HBO Max, all being owned by China? And I don't think we would. So I think there needs to be a separation between ownership and the product. I think that Meta was the ultimate espionage product. I don't think the Mossad, the NSA, the GRU, MI6, and their wildest dreams could have come up with Meta. Um, and I think we're going to find out that our ability to take out some of these Taliban leaders has been a function of their niece being on Instagram We GPS drone them. Uh, and I also, and I, and I realize this sounds paranoid, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. I think after the senators and the elected leaders in America have their photo ops berating Mark Zuckerberg, they go into a confidential hearing and he says, do you want us to continue help Killing Taliban leaders. And they say yes. And he says, well, back the fuck off. I think that's why we haven't had any meaningful legislation against the big American platforms. But, anyways, the ultimate propaganda tool is TikTok. I just don't, I think they would be stupid not to do this. And I think we're naive to think that they won't be able to do it easily. And I think we should, I think it presents a real national security risk. The wild thing
0: is that TikTok content that is disintegrating America or uh, reducing. Patriotic feelings towards it is generated by U.S. in citizens. America. Yeah, this yeah. isn't this isn't the Chinese creating content, no. but because of the dynamic of audience capture and the reinforcement mechanism of getting that status response, you can press your hand on the scale that rewards creators that create a particular type of narrative, and that it, it turns every individual TikTok user that cares to talk about politics. To be more likely uh, an unwitting, unwilling CCP agent.
1: It's so brilliant and insidious at the same time. And by the way, let's wrap all of this in really joyous dance videos, which makes it all feel really benign. It was even done optimistic. to Justin
0: Bieber, the, the catastrophe and the apocalypse will be done to a Justin Bieber soundtrack. That's right. So it doesn't really it'll matter.
1: It all feel good, and you don't even have to put your thumb on the scale of certain individuals and not others it can be the content from the same individual in this podcast i will talk about very hopeful things uh, for america you know i don't think there's anything wrong we can't fix we 50 percent of the world's philanthropy originates from u.s institutions yeah we if you were to have one global headline news headline for the last 100 years it would be that british russians and the americans turn back fascism the one headline for the last 50 years would be unprecedented global prosperity led by america i'll also talk about failing young men in the u.s and how they're struggling and they've never done young men have never followed that cohort has fallen further faster in the u.s than than in history if you're TikTok and you have a series of 30 seconds 30 second clips and you're with the ccp which narrative do you want to see rolling more often and it's just super super easy they could just take, they don't need any, they don't need to produce their own content. They just need to tweak the algorithm to say, in the same 60 minutes, an individual will have pro and anti-American content, and we're just gonna slowly but surely dial up the anti-American content. And it's from it's from someone you trust. It's from someone who also has pro-American content, so you think their content is credible. Let's create a lot of doubt about the back efficacy of the vaccines. When there's there's thoughtful discourse on both sides, I would argue 90 plus percent of the thoughtful discourse about vaccines says on a risk-adjusted basis, you should get a vaccine. And then 10 percent or less is doctors saying it alters your DNA. If I'm the CCP and I want to create controversy and I want to get us hating each other more, let's make that content 50-50. Let's have everyone go at each other over the vaccines. So I would say just uh, quite frankly, uh, if I were them, that's what I would do. Why spend money on aircraft carriers? Why why compete on 11 playing field when, the, when we have this Trojan horse the size of Montana residing in the U.S.? And we have this vehicle that the, the upcoming generation of Americans love in just a few small tweaks. And slowly but surely, they won't even know. The movie The Sting, I don't know if you saw it, uh, with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, But the key to a great con is the Mark never knows they were conned. We're all victims of propaganda right now. We all see on the left and on the right that sways our view. But we don't think we've been fooled. It's much easier to fool someone than convince them they've been fooled. Because to acknowledge you've been fooled is like saying, I acknowledge I'm an ass. I am acknowledged. someone's gotten the better of me. And people don't like that. So I think it's happening now. And I don't think we know what's even happening to us.
0: We also don't know what's happening in China. I don't know how much truth is behind this, but I've heard that the Chinese algorithm on TikTok shows a very different sort of world. It's young Chinese people doing engineering and being smart and conscientious and admirable and patriotic. Another consideration is 9.6 trillion minutes of Netflix watched in 2021, 22.6 trillion minutes of TikTok watched in 2021 given the fact that a TikTok video at most can be 60 seconds and probably the average Netflix thing is 30 minutes, that blows my mind.
1: It's just, it's it's staggering. And to your point, uh, the the TikTok version, or the Chinese version of TikTok and it's Duyuan, uh it's all aspirational. Look at this kid from Shenzhen who's a concert pianist. Look at the incredible research we're doing. Look at these kids, what they're building in their, in their high school. It's all uplifting. No politics. <laughs> I mean, none at all. It's, uh, so this is what the Chinese have decided they want their youth to see.
0: Could, could that not be an argument that in China, talking about the CCP in any way that's not positive would be difficult to do, no matter how you put your finger on the balance of the, of the platform? They have a broader structure that stops people from doing that.
1: 100 percent and some people would argue they shouldn't be our role model but even if you take even if you take the societal issues and the complicated conversation around censorship and media because whenever you heard hear the words ban and media in the same sentence you should understandably have a gag reflex because i think one of the keys to a productive democratic society is that pretty much anyone can say pretty much anything about pretty much anyone else i do think that's super important but take that push that aside should chinese sectors and companies have unfettered access to our markets when we have absolutely none to theirs Uh, twitter google meta what's our access over there zero we have limited access we have just enough access initially and they create body language and a head fake that they might let us be in there just long enough so they can steal the intellectual property they then prop up a local entrepreneur fund that local entrepreneur and their attitude is. We can steal the Google algorithm or create something, a reasonable facsimile, and there's probably a two or three hundred billion dollar company search engine that can just feed off the domestic market. What do you know? It's Baidu. Why on earth are we going to go the Western way and go do what Italy or South Korea does and let our newspapers go out of business and let all of the shareholder value transfer to California? I mean, you got to admire them. From a Chinese standpoint, really it's impressive. smart. It's really,
0: really... It, meanwhile, they're limiting the amount of time that their children can play video games. One hour between 8 and 9 p.m. Friday, Saturday, Sunday per week. That's it. The only way that you can play games is through a streaming service. And the streaming service just... They just flick the switch. It's just not on. A, you can't do yeah. it. Meanwhile, um, you have men that are being given fake uh, fitness cues and their conscientiousness and desire for aspiration and chasing goals is being repurposed across into League of Legends or whatever other game they're now playing online. They are able to get uncanny vulvas from porn. So they're being given fake reproductive fitness signals from porn, fake uh, achievement fitness signals from video games. This is why, so you've got a, a, a quote that I found very interesting because I had Richard Reeves on the show recently of boys and men brand new book which is out and it's it's really interesting and you said uh, the most dangerous person in the world is a man who's broken and alone what do you mean by that
1: well first off let me just acknowledge uh, I, I i was i had shudders go down my spine when i saw that my book was coming out the same book as richard's book i think that guy is amazing and a beast. and uh i have been feeling and seeing This notion of how how poorly young men are doing. I just can see it in my friends with their sons. I have friends who have two daughters and a son. And I'm saying this metaphorically, but loosely speaking, the daughters at Penn, the younger daughters working at a PR firm in Chicago, and the son is in their basement vaping and playing video games. Young men, seven to ten high school valedictorians or girls. For every one male college graduate over the next five years, there's going to be two female college graduates. 93% of mass shooters are men, three times more likely to to overdose, four times more likely to commit suicide, 12 more times more likely to be incarcerated. They do worse in single-parent households. For some reason, girls have the same outcomes in a dual-parent household versus a single we have more single-parent households. Our education system is biased against men. Men on a behavior-adjusted or boys on a behavior-adjusted, boys are twice as likely to, to get suspended for the same infraction as a girl. Two-thirds to 80% of all primary and secondary teachers are, are women, and understandably they're going to champion little girls who they see themselves in. So young men just have the deck stack against them. If you walk down the avenue that is America, one in three men under the age of 30 will not have had sex in the last year. And people hear the word sex and their brain fires different ways. But sex is is a key step to the elemental foundation of any society, and that's a relationship. And then you you wrap in COVID, you wrap in the biological fact that men's prefrontal cortex doesn't evolve as quickly. They're more immature. And then you have all this these this kind of short form ability to get similar dopa of relationships on social similar dopa that you're learning or 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 taking risks with Robin Hood or gambling. You're not learning. You're not investing. You're gambling. And it's fun, but it's gambling. You don't have to put on a shirt or figure out the skills to meet women because you can get some of that hit by watching porn. I mean, what's your motivation to go out and go through the humiliation of dating to get to your own sex when you get a sort of a reasonable facsimile of it at home what's your what's your rationale for working hard and delaying gratification when you keep keep seeing these screenshots of men who've made 12,000% return on Solana so and men aren't good at executive functions they're kind of 2 years behind an 18-year-old boy applying to college is sort of on par with a 16 or a 17-year-old girl Did or put s- it another way did you right.
0: see uh, Paige Harden published a study looking at the um, comparative levels of impulse control between boys and girls? So you can imagine there's a graph over time in terms of impulse control. The time is going along the bottom. You've got two lines that are both male and female. Mm-hmm. For a male to have the same level of impulse control as
1: a 10-year-old girl, mm-hmm. they need to be 24. Yeah, the the delta I've heard, that's striking. The delta I've heard is two years. But even if you think about two years, you basically, if you have two 18-year-old people applying to college, basically the 18-year-old is, is competing against the 16-year-old. So imagine, imagine you're in 10th grade applying to college and all the girls are in 12th grade. That's, that's what we're facing right now. And at NYU, I can tell you that some of the schools there, if they were totally applicant blind, they would not only be predominantly female, they'd be 70% Asian female. I mean, the Asian community has been so successful in our society as it, as it comes to producing traits and behaviors that colleges love. And people think, well, okay, if, if, men, if men are finally not doing very well. I mean, we basically, we leveled the playing field about edu- education and what we found is women just absolutely blew by, yep, men, just correct. absolutely blew by. And you think, well, what's the problem with that? Well, when it was 40-60 female to, female to male, we decided to do something about it with Title IX and affirmative action. And we leveled up women. Now that it's 40, 60, or you could even argue thirty-three-sixty-six in terms of graduation because men gra- drop out, the question is, well, are we concerned now? And the, the knock-on effect here is that getting a college degree is still a really good plan B for economic security. On average, over the course of your lifetime, a college grad will make about double what a non-college grad makes. And so what you have is women mate socioeconomically horizontally and up men horizontally and down. The bottom line is women with college degrees aren't interested in mating with men without college degrees. So you have this what I'll call Porsche polygamy effect. And that is when you take the chaser of online dating, which is doing the same thing that technology does to every sector, is consolidating it and creating a winner-take-most environment. The top 10% of men in terms of attractiveness on Tinder get 80, 90% of the swipe rights. They They get all of the attention. Which, quite frankly, doesn't lead to a lot of great behavior. Too much opportunity is not necessarily a good thing. The 50 to 90 percentile in terms of attractiveness for men do okay, and the bottom 50% are just totally shut out. And what happens to these men who are totally shut out from mating opportunities? They lose confidence. They start becoming much more prone to misogynistic content with these internet celebrities telling them it's not their fault, it's a woman's fault. They become less likely to believe in climate change, they become more nationalist. I mean, young men are very good at blaming other people when things aren't going well for them. And so what do the most violent, dangerous societies all have in common? They all have a disproportionate number of the most dangerous person on the planet, a young, broken, alone man. And we're just producing way too many of them. And we can't even have an honest conversation about it because the moment you start evangelizing for young men, the moment you're seen as, quote unquote, pro young man, the natural assumption is that means you're anti women because Admittedly, there's some guys out there on TikTok claiming to be trying to give men confidence. That basically it's basically thinly veiled misogyny. Yes. Referring to women as bitches, and you gotta own the bitches, and you gotta get out there, take my class for $49 a month, and you'll get the money and put the bitches in their place. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what young men are are susceptible to. It's really it's it's dangerous and it's ugly so uh, i think a lot about masculinity i think we need i think the left needs to take back masculinity and one of the things i enjoy doing on my podcast i'm a profane vulgar person and for some reason profanity and vulgarity has been conflated with some sort of non-progressive person no it's not comedians who've been really profane and vulgar tend to be more progressive masculinity is a wonderful thing it's not necessarily the domain of people born men but advocating for others protecting others using skills and strengths to protect other people you know being aggressive that is a wonderful thing when when russians come pouring over the border in ukraine you want some of that big dick energy masculinity is a wonderful thing and it should be embraced and to conflate toxicity and masculinity is bad for society and we've gotten to a point where we don't value young men we're not giving them as many opportunities as we're giving older generations much less other young women And it's a, I think it's an existential crisis for the United States. And you know who wants more emotionally, economically viable men? Women. Women. And uh, women have a much finer filter for mating than men. And they're just not finding that many good young men. They're just, we aren't producing enough of them.
0: It doesn't surprise me that it's a confusing situation to be in. Men are being told to both man up and open up, but to avoid being toxically masculine. But when you see the revealed preferences versus stated preferences of the way that women date, that um, guys should get over their fear of tall women when Zendaya and Tom Holland got into a relationship together. It's like, I I don't think that short guys were turning down Zendaya. I think that it's the other way Mm. around. On average, women want a partner that's 21 centimeters taller than them. On average, men want a, a partner that's 16 centimeters shorter than they are. So I... All of that is something that everyone listening to the show will be very familiar with this mating crisis that we're seeing at the moment is something that i've been very passionate about something that richard taught me about last week when i was on the show is young male syndrome why have we not got these swaths roving gangs of young disaffected youths youth guys pushing over granny and causing havoc and stuff like that that hasn't happened that that just doesn't seem to be happening. Yes, you've got school shooters. They are individual groups. Yes, the Salman Rushdie thing, again, as well, was also an individual lone actor, probably somebody that had he been more integrated into a family and into his local community would have been less likely to commit that sort of an act. But we haven't seen it en masse in the same sort of way. You cor- correct with what you say between 2008-2018, men went from 8% to 28%, the number of men that haven't had sex in the last year. Mm-hmm. However, we haven't seen this proliferation of young male syndrome occurring. And Richard's contention was that the fake fitness cues that you're getting from technology are sedating men. They're repurposing some of that energy that they would have put into being very aggressive out into the world. And as opposed to us going out with a bang, we're going out with a fizzle. And from what I see, the sort of rhetoric that I hear online from men it is a lot less, I'm going to go out and do something about this. It is a lot more, I'm going to retreat in to me, just hold on tight, boys, the sex robots are coming soon. Like th- These are non-ironic comments that I see on the internet. So I think this is a av- bit of availability bias because it's something new that I've just learned about, so I'm all excited about it and it seems to explain stuff. But I do think that there is a very good argument to be made that, you're not going to end up with dangerous men, you're going to end up with useless men.
1: I think that's fascinating. I mean, I, I, everything you're saying, I'm I'm kind of trying to take mental notes because the, the, the we always go back to history, right? And in early 30s Germany, it looked more like the US than we'd like to admit. It was prosperous, it had a thriving LGBT community, and then when it was economically harmed, the young men weren't doing well, they found scapegoats. And you're right, they put on brown shirts and they started... You know mistreating old people and you're not you're not seeing that in the united states what i would argue though is that we're electing people who are doing it in a more insidious fashion and that is um there's been more women all elected almost all elected representatives have a college degree so to a certain extent our elected representatives should somewhat mimic college grads that's the one thing they all have in common almost all of them have went to call went to college for 40 years now we've been producing more female college graduates, and male college graduates, which would lead you to understandably believe there should be more female elected leaders than male elected leaders. There's not. 28 percent of our elected leaders are female. And I think it's because men and women incorrectly conflate the tone of your voice and your height with leadership qualities. So show me a woman who's 5'3 and has an IQ of 130, and I'll show you school board president. Show me a guy who's 6'2 with a full head of hair who has 105 IQ, I'll show you a senator. And what, what you have is, is a group of men, and our parties are now bifurcating, and the Democrats are representing female college graduates, and Republicans are, are re- representing non-college graduate males. And I think some of the rhetoric coming out of Washington that feels a little bit, especially on the right, feels a little bit like fascist light, and you see the Italian, new Italian prime minister— that It's a different type of repackaged violence. It's violence against immigrants. It's slow burn violence against women in the form of taking their rights back to old Spain. So it's not as obvious as a, as a gang of young men going into the streets and beating up on on, on vulnerable people. I think in some ways it's more um, more institutionalized where we elect people who say uh, things they don't even believe because they know that they have a powerful voting group and young disaffected males and I think they're overrepresented in Washington actually when you look at our if you look at the United States uh, we have minority rule and that's on the left far left and far right because of gerrymandering but about 30% of our senators represent about 5% of our population and those senators tend to represent conservative districts and those conservative districts are producing all of these kind of young uneducated men who are looking for scapegoats Uh, Looking looking for to blame immigrants, um, not being as concerned about climate change, not being as protective of women's rights. So I think the, I think the violence is still there. It's just being repackaged. But to your point, just as cancer was an epidemic that we finally started talking about, not an epidemic, but it was closeted and we had open conversations about that and made it normalized it to talk about it and made huge progress against it because we normalized the conversation we're going through the same thing with mental illness people are openly talking about their own mental illness challenges and it's a wonderful thing and it'll help normalize it and address it i think that the next thing that's going to come out of the closet is the crisis and loneliness and that is i think so many people boy scout and Girl Scout enrollment is way down. The percentage of people who talk to their neighbors is way down. The percentage of people who play in an athletic league, play sports, see their friends every day, have a good friend. The number of people who say they have a good friend has declined by a third in the last 10 years. The number of kids who see their friends every day has been cut in half over the last 10 years. And it shows that loneliness raises your blood pressure, increases the likelihood you'll have a stroke, increases the likelihood of depression. And for young men, especially, it's important because if you don't have friends, if you don't have a girlfriend, I joined a fraternity when I was 17 years old. Exactly 40 years ago this week, I rushed a fraternity at UCLA. And there's a cartoon of fraternities, and there's a lot of bad things about them. I would encourage any young man to join a fraternity if he goes to college, because it took a 30,000 foot, a uh, 30,000 person community, and it it shrank it down to something manageable for me. And I remember my roommate saying, "Stop smoking so much pot." I remember my roommate saying you know, oh, you're, you're on crew or you want to tr- row for crew. I had other male role models. The difference between a 22-year-old male who I was friends with and an 18-year-old, I was huge. And there were men, young men on the crew team at 22. I wanted a row crew. And so they mentored me and worked out with me. And, you know, and I got much more fit. I needed that socialization. I needed those guardrails. I needed other men to tell me to get my shit together. I didn't grow up with siblings. My father wasn't around. Young men, there are now neighborhoods where there are no men. I mean, just none, especially in black neighborhoods because of incarceration rates and male abandonment. And what's really interesting is I think we should think about really unconventional experiments in New York and New Jersey because of COVID. We had big prison relief programs because COVID just ripped through the prisons because most of these uh, prisoners had not been exposed to any novel coronaviruses or coronaviruses. So they just were, it just ripped through. So they had a prison release program. And what they found was the communities that absorbed the most men from a prison release program crime went down because what they found is in general these men would speak to younger men and say don't fuck up like i did and so this absence of men this absence of male role models the moment a kid doesn't have a boy doesn't have a male role model in his life he becomes immediately twice as likely to be incarcerated so this this numbing of america this loneliness epidemic and this lack of male role models I think is a big deal. But I, I love the way, I, it's really interesting, I want to do more research on what you just said, that they're not as external a big a threat, they're more of a threat to themselves. Yep. And you're right, it may be just that they're more dangerous to themselves than to others.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so much to go through there. I think one of the interesting things when it comes to controlling uh, reproductive independence for women, it seems like women are mostly the enactors of control when it comes to that if it was left up to men women's abortion rights would have almost certainly not been touched based on a bunch of polling that i've seen that might be interesting for you to look at if you've not seen it before as well um a ton of polls seem to suggest that men are less enforcing when it comes to this than women are that women tend to be the people that are voting pro-life as opposed to pro-choice that was something surprising that i learned about but yeah i mean all of this together is a very messy situation in a maladapted, uh, an evolutionary mismatched world, filled with novel technology that can not only propagate ideas but allows people who don't have worth of status to gain status. It's it's a real a real sort of blending, dangerous blender of a lot of novel stimulus that no one really understands how to deal with. One thing that we maybe previously would have had would have been commentators that we trusted coming through mainstream media. And I know that you looked at what makes a story go viral and why pundits suck nowadays. I think this is a little bit more prevalent in the US than it is in the UK. I'm not saying that the BBC or ITV are completely impartial or Sky News or anything else like that. I do get the sense that they're a little bit more about news than about opinion. So why aren't pundits stepping in and being the appropriate gatekeepers between reality and cultural consciousness that they should
1: be because there's no money in it and i just moved to london and in my initial observation granted i'm gonna everything british is charming and novel for me right now i'm right and the accent w- in you what I find is, like, I believe in a, a nationalized healthcare system that also has a private layer. I, I think in a democratic or a capitalist society, we have to acknowledge that rich people are going to have better lives. And I think that's the basis of capitalism that we're going to have billionaires and people wanting to be one of those people is a huge motivator. And so I think a nationalized system that has a certain baseline level, a pretty good level of healthcare, and then a private label that emerges above it. Is actually a pretty decent system. And people will get upset about the inequity. But let's have a longer conversation about the inequities of capitalism. It's the least, like I believe what Churchill said, it's the least bad, the worst system of its kind, except for all the others. I think the same is true of media. Uh, the BBC wouldn't survive, I don't think, if it was for profit. I think if you're going to have straight down the middle, just the facts, man, it's not as entertaining. It's harder to keep people engaged. It's a good brand positioning. But the reason why CNN and Fox went to either end of the pole is that it's just more entertaining. In the 70s in the U.S., we used to have the the news used to be a public service of of um, networks that were making so much money running commercials against the Brady Bunch or the A Team or Love Boat. They said 30 minutes a night, we're going to tell you what's going on, and it's going to be nine minutes of commercials, 18 minutes of news, and three minutes of opinion. And there was this great skit based on that opinion on Saturday Night Live where basically Dan Aykroyd would call Jane Curtin an ignorant slut. That was the opinion section. And they'd go at it. And then slowly but surely, Ted Turner and Rupert Murdoch realized that they should flip it, have three minutes of actual news and 18 minutes of opinion and reinforce people's tribal beliefs and get angry and go after the other side. And it's really entertaining. And we have this situation room. Like a headline or a Chiron that says things slightly better today globally doesn't sell. So we've kind of catastrophized the world. And when there are increasing gas prices, 71 to 73 days, there's 21 New York Times headlines. When of 80 of the last 85 days, gasoline prices have declined. There's one headline. And so we've started, you know, CNN and Fox go to the left, go way to the left and way to the right. So I think having government, I think the only way you have what I'd call non-partial or an attempt to have some sort of non-partial news driven, I think it's gotta have government support because it's not entertaining and it doesn't get the eyeballs. Um, uh, So I'm a big fan of the BBC. I'm a big fan of government supported news and media. I think uh, also social media needs more identity verification because I think bad actors weaponize misinformation. And I think we also need Section 230 carve-outs such that if you spread misinformation around vaccines or elections, just as we've done around trafficking, you have the same liability that this show has or the traditional media has. But pundits don't step into the fray because the the ones that are really trusted can make $10 million a year being partisan. And they're capitalists too. So could they go to uh, PBS And be more neutral? Yeah. Could they go to the BBC and be more neutral? I'm doing a show on BBC. I just signed up. I'm doing a show.
0: Congratulations. I like
1: it. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. And I did it because everything the BBC does just kind of reeks of quality and production values. I also like the fact that they will fact check everything to death. Everything to death. And they will do their best to, to, to call balls and strikes. I'm not making as much money there as when I worked at CNN. There's just not as much money in it. And so I like it. I feel good about it. But I'm in a position to do it. And when other people get offered big money to do something for Fox or CNN, you can't blame them. Well, You get a,
0: a tragedy of the Commons effect a little bit here, right? That by you taking the high road, that leaves a spot at CNN open for somebody else. So by you curtailing your ability to make money, notes that you don't perhaps need to make so much money anymore. But I, I went to a Broadcasting House about four weeks ago. I was back in the UK for a while, and uh, I got to go to Broadcasting House. Uh, I don't know whether you've been there yet, but the even the atmosphere inside of that place, is a proper newsroom out the back, and it's behind where they film the 6 o'clock news mm-hmm. on an evening time. And you can see everyone scurrying around, writing bits and pieces. Apparently, the uh, gentleman that I was there with that was interviewing me told me that during... Hugh Edwards' announcement of the Queen's passing, like the main one that's going to be used for the next century for when the Queen passed, two of the workers that were in the newsroom behind were taking photos on their phone or or some Instagram story. So Hugh Edwards is doing this really serious thing, and in the background there's two people taking a video of it who apparently were reprimanded Hmm. very quickly and and given a very big slap on the wrist. I was thinking there about this... um, Way that competition for eyeballs has evaporated some of the um, other more higher quality elements that came about in news programming. And there's this thought experiment that I learned about years ago to do with rats living on an island. So there's a 100 rats living on the island. The island has a carrying capacity of a 1,000 rats. These 100 rats are spending their time. They're doing art and poetry, obviously very smart rats, art and poetry and playing sport and making love and, and finding food and stuff. But they don't need to compete that much for food or for finding love because there's tons of spare carrying capacity. Now, over time, as the population begins to grow and grow and grow, you find that the rats who focus more on survival and reproduction – and less on the superfluous things that add color, but doesn't actually add a reproductive benefit or a competitive benefit if it was in a commercial market, they end up being more successful. Mm-hmm. Which selects The survivors? Over, yeah, which selects <laughs> over time more and more and more. And then after you reach full carrying capacity, once you hit that 1,000 mark, any rat that decides that he or she wants to try and do art or culture or poetry or whatever it is, they're immediately competed out of the gene pool or defeated in the market of ideas or the market of attention and eyes because they're unable to compete with the people that are chasing the only thing that really, really matters in terms of survival and reproduction. And I kind of see something similar here, that it does become a race to the bottom of the brainstem. If you you decide to do less partisan talking points, if you decide to talk about more positive news stories, if you decide to be more balanced in your approach to things if that loses the amount of attention that you get, where's that attention going to go? Well, it's going to go to somewhere else that does decide to put that sort of rhetoric across. So you have to play this game or else you become one of the rats that's competed out of the gene pool.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. I'm not familiar with that that study, but the notion of I'll I'll equate survival techniques with grit. And there's a ton of studies showing that Intelligence does dictate success, but tops out at about 110 IQ. So smart people are more likely to be wealthy and successful than dumb people. But really smart people are no more likely than smart people. The delta is perseverance and grit. So survival mentality. The reason I'm wealthy is because I didn't have a lot. Um, I'm very talented. But um, if I had, I say this a lot, if, if I had what my kids have now, I wouldn't have what I have now. Yep. If I were my sons, and this is my struggle, the only two things I knew I would have as an adult male would be a Range Rover and a cocaine habit. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not that I, – I, I wanted money and I didn't have any. And I was smart enough to look around in America and go, the difference between having better health care, living in a nicer place, having a broader selection set of mates is money. And so and and for me, it became very apparent very early because my mom got very sick and I just saw U.S. healthcare is really a caste system when it comes to when it comes to money. And I, I decided very early and people don't talk about this or they don't talk. They don't like to admit it. I was I had a monocular focus on it. That's it. I was like, oh, I don't want to meet a great woman or I want to change the world. or I want to help car- climate change. No, no, no. I'm going to be fucking rich. That was that was my decision as a younger man. And I want to be clear, it's not a to. Sit, to it, it's not something entirely in your control. I had a lot of wins in my back, but it was a sole focus of mine. And I also coach young men, take economic responsibility for your household. And sometimes that means getting out of the way and being more supportive of your spouse or partner who's better at this whole money thing than you. That's also being a man. But a good place to start as a young man is you need to take economic responsibility for your household. That means figuring out a way that at some point you might be able to help your parents, figure out a way that you're economically viable figure out a way that you can have the money such you have a very stressful life if you have decide to have a family. So I like the grit component. I think the problem is the opposite. I don't think the island runs out of bananas and food and only the survivalists. I think the problem is actually the opposite. And that is we live in an era of superabundance. And that is our technology is so extraordinary at taking the same amount of inputs and producing so much more that our instincts haven't caught up to institutional production of sugar fat um, entertainment porn we're just we don't know how to modulate these things because when we saw red meat when we saw sugary salty snacks just a few generations ago it was like shit eat it all because you don't know where your next meals coming from and so the the fact that we get all of the superabundance now results in externalities and Anytime you take one commodity and turn it into something much more valuable, whether it's oil into petroleum, whether it's attention into money, there's externalities. There's been enormous externalities from the refining of fossil fuels. And I believe now there are enormous externalities around turning attention into dollars, specifically through social media. And with fossil fuels, we watch it happen slowly. And what do we know about it? We know there's externalities. We know the longer it it takes to address The more expensive it is to unwind but with social media and technology and search we've seen these externalities like go up exponentially in just two decades so i would argue it's it's the super abundance that's the problem because if you look at if you look at there's some truth to a middle class person right now in america the uk lives a better life than the wealthiest person a century ago but there's so much abundance and so much opportunity to communicate abundance that nobody says, well, I should be happy. Look at how our grandfather le- lived and he was richer than us on a relative basis. All they think about is Instagram's shoving this picture of this person, all these people in my face all day long, and all I know about them is they're hotter and richer than me. That's the benchmark now.
0: Dude, status, status and our living conditions are relative, not absolute. There was a, a study yeah, done where right. they offered people the choice between a uh, – £10,000 increase in their annual salary or a promotion to a newer, more um, uh, hierarchical job title. More people chose the job title than £10,000 a year simply because we look to be, we want relative status. That makes us feel good. And I think that you're right as well. that It's all well and good saying, look at the material abundance that we have now, but it's very quickly gone from, scarcity to overabundance hypernormal stimuli too much food too much information think about this there was a period i don't know maybe the autumn of 2011 or 2012 or something like that when we had the optimal balance between how much information we wanted and how much information we could access for almost all of human history a tiny, tiny little bit more information was maybe meant the difference between life and death this winter because you knew how to stitch a different sort of cloak together that you and your family could sleep under or you found a new bush or a way to hoe the garden, whatever it might be. And then in, at some point between 2005 and 2013, that switched and there was way
1: more information than we needed. I think the pivotal moment was when social went on mobile and that was all day long you had an opportunity to get a quick dopa hit and you get the dopa hit pulling your phone out even before you see it to see what kind of affirmation what kind of love what kind of how do i how do i um, pair up how do i measure up versus competitors what's happening to my 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 uh, doja coin that day has anyone swiped right on me yeah. um, can i go uh, do i have an alert from you porn on some weird fetish thing that increasingly gets weirder and weirder. And it's in my, it's in my pocket all day long. And what you see is in 2013 when social went on mobile, he saw skyrocketing levels of depression and self-harm. And this isn't self-reporting. This is actual hospital admissions. So the overabundance of information, constant stimuli. And then what you have is it's especially appealing and especially prevalent among people whose brains have enough, have developed enough to appreciate it and need it and want social structure. You know, shaming and adulation and reaffirmation are an important part of the species. It's important that we value certain affirmation. It creates good behavior and good role models. But when you don't have the capacity to uh, absorb the negative stuff or modulate it, which is exactly where teenagers are, it results in, in America, there's between one and 4,000 parents every night. Who take their kid to the emergency room because they're scared to go to sleep for fear what might happen and what they might find in the morning with their incredibly depressed 15 year old girl. So they just go. They just take the kid to the emergency room, and the emergency rooms around America don't know what to do because they they they're not used to it.
0: This problem, yeah.
1: They don't know how to. They they basically say we can put them, we can put them on suicide watch. We can submit them to the hospital, but we don't know what to do. There's no like immediate therapy or drug we can even SSRIs
0: aren't going to step in and stop you from I mean what do you do take the phone time take the phone away isolate them from all of the people the only form of one one question that that I had in my head a lot of the time people ask about what would you do if you were in your 20s and and pieces of advice very rarely hear people get asked about what you would do if you're in your 30s so what advice would you give to people that are in their 30s or entering their 30s about how to operate in life
1: I think it's really situational. I don't think there's a user's manual. I think there's some best practices, and I don't think it's that much different than in your 20s. Um, the first is very primal. I think every person in their 20s and 30s should lift heavy weights and run long distances in their brain and in the gym. Push yourself really hard. You're, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't even realize. How old are you? 34. Okay, so like you look like a beast. And in 20 years, you're just going to look back on how strong you were and just marvel at it and you're going to wish as strong as you were that you even push yourself harder i rode crew and it was such a valuable part of my life i did at the age of 19 and i remember in the midst of a race it's a 2000 meter race and i remember not being able to feel my legs starting to black out and having to concentrate on not blacking out from exhaustion my and the the oxygen or the air going down my esophagus was on fire tastes like blood and metal
0: in your throat yeah
1: And that was at 800 meters and you'd go 2000 and that ability just when you think just when you think you can't take any more that means you're about a third of the way to your limits as as a as a human as a species learning that as a young man or woman is a blessing because what it means is you have the confidence that when when things are hard physically emotionally mentally you realize Oh, my God, I could take so much more and still be fine. And when I worked, my first job was at Morgan Stanley, an investment bank. And I was undereducated relative to my peer group, not because I didn't go to a great school. I went to UCLA, but I spent the majority of my five years there making bongs out of household items and watching Planet of the Apes. So I wasn't as skilled as my peer group. So I decided every Tuesday morning I was going to come into work and I wasn't going to leave till Wednesday night. And I'm like, I can do that. I'm physically really strong i'm mentally really strong and it sent a signal to the rest of the organization that i came to play develop that kind of grid and strength emotionally physically and intellectually in your 20s and 30s you're capable of it you're just going to look back on that era and be like just marvel at how out of fucking control strong you are both mentally and physically Two, get to a city if you can and that sounds very Practical or rote, but you'd rather be good in a big city than great in a small city. Before you collect dogs and kids, you know, being in a city is like playing tennis with Roger Federer or Nadal. When you play with people much better than you, your game gets much better. You're playing against the best when you're in a city. Uh, find, create as many opportunities to find a mate. Now, what do I mean by that? Get out. As often as possible, accept invitations, force yourself to go out, force yourself to meet strangers, develop the skills. Uh, start whenever you're waiting in line at Starbucks, talk to the person in front of you, talk to the person behind you. Develop the skills to begin opening and establishing relationships. And it's uncomfortable and it means getting used to rejection. And by the way, the only thing I can guarantee you in life is rejection. And the only thing I can guarantee a lot of, if you wanna be successful, is a shit ton of rejection. Being an entrepreneur just means you're willing to take out a big spoon and eat shit all the time. Talking people into working for you, talking clients into to to, to engaging you, talking investors into investing, and having 90 plus percent of them saying no. And the same is true with successful mating. The most important decision you'll make in your 20s and 30s isn't where you live, where you work, what industry you're going to, it's who you decide to partner with, specifically who you decide to ultimately have kids with. And I have f- close friends who are monstrously successful by every external metric, and they don't have great lives because they don't have real partners in their spouses. And I have other friends who struggle economically, and it's hard, but everything's a little easier for them because they have a real partner. And the way you punch above your weight class and find a great mate uh, um, you know, emotionally, intellectually, from a value standpoint, sexually, is you give yourself as many opportunities as possible. And my story is I met uh, my partner who I had kids with at the Raleigh Hotel, at the pool at the Raleigh Hotel in South Beach about 17 years ago. It was the middle of the day and I walked in and I think it's important to do this. I walked in and I saw someone I was really attracted to. And I said, I'm gonna talk to this person before I leave. And I promised myself, and I went up in the full light of midday sun, when she was sitting with another guy and another girl and opened. And without the aid of alcohol, that is not easy. That is not easy. And fast forward, my oldest son's middle name is Raleigh. If you, nothing wonderful is gonna happen to you unless you take an uncomfortable risk. So get good at taking them. Get good at sending blind emails to LinkedIn contacts to ask them for coffee, to see, If they'll talk to you about that industry, reach out to people, tell them you admire them, try and become friends with them. You know, you're you're an interesting guy. I was just thinking to myself, I'd love to know this guy. Does he live in London? He just seems very cool. Get comfortable taking those sorts of risks. Get comfortable with rejection. Nothing wonderful will happen to you unless you take an uncomfortable risk. The most important thing you can find in your life in your 20s and 30s is something that you're good at. So that you can start building a base around economic security but the the real key is to find a great partner and that is going to be a function of liquidity how many great partners potential great partners you approach and unfortunately the far left of which i'm a part as as is, is counseled men that if you start talking to a woman at work and you express any sort of interest it means you're toxic no it doesn't if you don't know the difference between expressing interest and in having coffee with someone and harassing them you've got much bigger problems. A third of relationships begin at work. I'm not suggesting anyone should ever abuse their power. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't be very careful that you're ever leveraging power making anyone uncomfortable. But for God's sakes, go up and talk to strangers. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you approach a strange woman and, and try and express, get a conversation going, and she's not interested, you're both gonna be fine. You're both gonna be fine. And what I see is a generation of men who don't take care of themselves physically and become so isolated that the idea of talking to a strange woman is so alien and alien and uncomfortable to them, they just rather stay home and do something else. And I don't want to stereotype all introverts as is, is leading to bad places. That's not true at all. But the majority of men you talk to, they want to be financially successful and they want to have a great partner at some point. And that is a function of, of your willingness to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. So anyways, get mentally and physically strong. Take economic responsibility for your household. Get out of the house as much as possible. Try and find things where you're building something in the agency of others. I don't care. Every day you should be around strangers. Every day. I don't care if it's work. I don't care if it's church. I don't care if it's nonprofit, a softball league, the gym, classes, whatever it is. You need to be around a massive number of strangers and finding reasons to have bump off of them and find economic and personal and platonic opportunities as often as possible. We are a social species, get to a city, get around a lot of people, get out there every day, start making money and become really strong. You should be able to walk into any room at your age and think if shit got real, I can kill and eat everybody or outrun them. One or the other, one or the other. Now I'm at the point where I can do neither. Uh, i'm not strong and my knees are going but anyways at your age it should be one or both
0: you could pay someone to kill everybody or come there you go that would be your solution (laughs) there you go yeah scott galloway ladies and gentlemen uh dude i appreciate the fuck out of you this is really really interesting i've been looking forward to speaking to you for a while if people want to harass you online and find all of your stuff where should they go
1: yeah, to resist is futile. I'm everywhere, <laughs> uh, Prof. Galloway on Twitter, Prof. Uh, uh, profgalloway.com and just uh, and my new book, Adrift: American 100 Charts, available on. Let me think, Amazon. Let's go, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your good work and congrats on all your success. Thank you very much
0: for tuning in. Don't forget that you can receive a 15% discount on the best men's jewelry by going to bit.ly slash cdwisdom and the code MW15 at checkout. You can get a 15% discount on all of Verso's longevity supplements at ver.so slash wisdom and the code MW15 at checkout. And you can get five free travel packs, a year's supply of vitamin D and a 60-day money-back guarantee from Athletic Greens at athleticgreens.com
1: slash wisdom. And I will see you next time.